0: Hi folks, Lucid Dreaming is now on Patreon. You can support us to keep our episodes ad-free and keep us rolling in the studio. We'd like to give a shout-out to our first supporter, Andrea, Andrea, Kuhn. Andrea Kuhn. 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 You can support us at different rates at patreon.com forward slash lucid dreaming podcast and get some cool stickers and maybe a tote bag. Dreaming Hello ears, thank you for joining us for the first conversation of our second anthology of the Lucid Dreaming Podcast. This series of conversations with contemporary moving image makers and artists is hosted by author and film curator Pamela Cohn. In the predicament of a pandemic, we're recording remotely, so please excuse the distant sound. Of barking dogs through each episode of this anthology we explore the space between forms of seeing and knowing the world around us through reference through layering through correspondences on and behind the screen so push those earbuds in deep turn off the house lights street lights and moonlight and let's begin
1: hello dreamers welcome to the lucid dreaming podcast i'm pamela Cohn. In this episode, I'll be in conversation with Belgian filmmaker, multimedia artist, writer, and cineast, Anouk de Clercq. Luckily for me, I first encountered her exhilarating moving image work in a large cinema, because everything she makes and writes about is dedicated to the cinema space and the collective experience held within. It is a sacred place for Anouk, one well worth preserving, promoting, and celebrating. In her book entitled, Where is Cinema?, Published by Archive Books in 2019, Anouk encounters and talks to the creators and curators at Wolfkino in Berlin, cinema as community, Potosin in Bogota, Colombia, cinema as beacon of light, Romuva cinema in Kaunas, Lithuania, cinema as memory palace, Tyneside cinema in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK, cinema as active agent, Kunsternes kino in Oslo, Norway, Cinema as Institutional Innovator, The Machine That Kills Bad People, a collective that exhibits at the ICA in London, Cinema as Catalyst, and Cinema Project in Portland, Oregon in the U.S., Cinema as Nomad. Anouk herself founded Monokino in Ostend, Belgium, this final chapter called Cinemas as Shaped by Water. Her film work, all in various modes of black, white, and gray, is oftentimes made without the apparatus of a camera. Exploring the trajectory of the dot to the pixel to space and beyond, Anuk has made work with a digital scanner, an electron microscope, and digital architectural abstracts to explore various spatial experiences and their affect on the body, from the minuscule to the vastness of outer space, with a thrilling combination of whimsy and rigorous scientific investigation. She says, I take a limited territory, a thought, a feeling, a concept, a pixel, a frame, and then set out on an adventure. Throughout the last several years, I've seen individual works of Anouk's at various festivals dedicated to the cinephile, including Oberhausen, Hamburg International Short Film Festival, and the Berlin International Film Festival. In a serendipitous collision of space and time, I happened to be on a rare visit to my hometown of Los Angeles in the spring of 2019, and was excited to discover that on the 25th of May, curator Mark Toscano was presenting a show of Anouk's work called Future Images at Ready. Cat, the Roy and Edna Disney Cal Arts Theater in downtown L.A. The artist was fully present, as she always is, manifested as a petite sprite, lively and warm, intellectually engaged, and super excited to share her work in a cozy black box cinema with a giant screen and surround sound to, as she puts it, explore a higher plane of consciousness in communion with the bodies around you. The beautifully programmed show at Red Cat consisted of It, from 2017, made with Tom Callerman about a blind man reporting on a solar eclipse, a light phenomenon he perceives through senses that do not involve sight. Building, from 2003, a work inspired by a concert hall in Bruges, with music by regular collaborator Anton Aiecki, a constructivist audiovisual mobile, Oops, Wrong Planet, from 2009, with a soundtrack made by a scanner, reinforcing the oral and visual static between distance and vicinity. Swan Song, from 2013, a brief three-minute final performance by a lone pixel floating in black space as we listen to its song before it fades away forever. Oh, from 2010, another adventure in architectural utopianism, an ode to an unrealized structure, an allegory between inside and outside, real and imaginary. Thing, from 2013, a fantastic journey through time and space as we listen to an architect, evocatively voiced by Liam Byrne, talk about the city he has built, with the dawning realization the city he's describing is imaginary. Atlas, from 2016, a piece that explores the surface of a single frame from a black-and-white 16-millimeter film through an electron microscope, and black, from 2015, five minutes of black shot on 35-millimeter, an ode to the darkness of the cinema. Since there's only one print in existence, eventually it will gather dust and scratches the more it's shown, only then revealing its texture. The author, via subtitle, tells us, I think I will like that. In the upcoming hour, we'll talk about these works, as well as Anouk's cinematic inspirations for compiling portraits of film initiatives from around the world, with fellow adventurers, cinema founders, filmmakers, film curators, and film lovers. As well, we'll talk about her latest collaboration with singer Helga Davis. In the film One, Made in 2019, she and Davis, with music by Vessel, create a spatialized soundscape, a work that, quote, attends to our world with a befitting vibrancy of feeling, unquote, and the installation entitled Helga Humming, made for Bozar in Brussels this past year, a project she told me that holds much meaning for her. Let's get started.
2: Welcome to the Lucid Dreaming Podcast,
1: Anouk. Hi,
2: thank you for inviting me.
1: My pleasure. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, I always like to start, but particularly in your case, uh, because we've talked a little bit about this before, but this constant collision in your work of, of the real and the imaginary um, is so fascinating and knowing the way in which you perceive your work as 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 always a grand adventure in some sense. I just want to kind of start with your upbringing in Ghent Um, and, you know, just kind of describe a little bit about your childhood, what kind of artistic influences came in um, in your very early life, in your developmental years that you feel somehow is is essential to to the work that you've been making ever since you started your career and how it how it still consistently informs the way you approach work
2: sure um I have to go way back but yeah I'm willing to do that a bit of time <laughs> time travel um so yeah I was I was born and raised in in Ghent which is a uh, um like a, not a very big town in in belgium um and well the f- first thing i can remember is the piano of my grandmother uh she had this upright piano and she she would play i mean you know she was not a professional but it it just i don't know it just tickled me somehow and she taught me how to play when i was very very young um and then um, I studied notation because really music was was my first love, let's say. Uh, and I studied piano um, for a couple of years. And uh, But it's not like I was like my grandmother. I, I didn't really have the, the talent, really. I, I did have a musical ear, let's say, in, in the sense that I always wanted to dismantle our piano. Um, I was interested in the sound it produced, the... Um, the spatiality uh, of it, much more than really trying to understand the compositions and and, and the actual music. But I was really, really intrigued by the space that that music created. And so we had a piano at home and I was constantly dismantling it and um, trying to make the sound more grand or more spatial, I guess. Mm -hmm. and um, my parents were big readers, so yeah i i was also really um much into reading. I even had a little library <laughs> like when I was a kid I, I had a i opened up my my uh library, let's say, which wasn't much more than a couple of bookshelves, but still uh, I kind of um opened it up to to my friends and they could have a little uh, card, a library card, and, and they could uh, lend a book of mine and stuff like that for three weeks, you know, like playing <laughs> library, which was great. Um, and I always got my books back, which was also good. Um, and, uh, and my mother is a, is a big theater fan. So um, we didn't have a lot of money for babysitting. So she took me uh, with her. Uh, also from quite a young age, and, and so I got to see, uh, yeah, contemporary dance and and, and theatre, uh, all kinds of stuff, and also, also things that maybe I was too young for. I remember uh, being maybe nine or ten and going to uh, the Japanese buto dance performance, and I was really, really scared, and I hid under my seat uh but it it left also like a very positive mark uh uh on me i mean being um yeah being uh, exposed to 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 books to um theater to dance uh to music um yeah it it just feels like a natural habitat mm. in, in a way um it's my home mm-hmm.
1: you talk about the cinema space as well as something sacred, as something uh, you talk about it spatially, of course, as well, but, but also these notions of what the body in communion with other bodies in that space. Um, and, and maybe, you know, I would like to have you talk about this idea in line with the work that you make with that in mind, because in your work as well, there is space—whether it's outer space or inner space—is is fully present. That's that's the I don't know the frame, the framework within which you mm-hmm. work, and there is then this really beautiful. I mean, I've I've had the privilege of being in cinema spaces when I've seen the work that I've seen of yours. Um, Including this beautiful uh, curation that Mark Toscano did in LA, where we were just literally taken from one piece to another, which is always—it's a rare privilege. Mm, it is, um, and the way in which that communion between the the bodies in the cinema space and the bodies that we're encountering on the screen. Um, sort of create this very particular feeling in the body, um, much more than in the mind. I mean, however cerebral your work is, and and when I read the descriptions of what you're doing, it is quite almost scientific in a way. Um, but yet there's this such a feeling of play and, and traveling um, to places that there would be no way to get to except <laughs> in a cinema, um, and I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that in the context of um, this this politics of culture also too that you you touch upon, and how vital it is that we preserve those spaces for ourselves
2: mm. well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think well first off. Um, i think art and film is a deep social space and 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 somehow somehow i also kind of use it as an excuse to connect you know like to to form a connection between people but also to connect of course to other people um and a cinema space is 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 a beautiful space to do that um but it's it's um it has a duality because of course when you when you are in uh, a, a cinema, um, you're not particularly aware of of other people. It's not like you're you're talking to other people, but you become this one body in a sense. It's a very sensual experience uh, being in a cinema space and I miss it terribly, of course, these mm. days mm. because yeah, we're a cinema these days. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all also like the difference between when I watch a film, in a cinema, I remember it. It leaves a mark on me. It's almost like an imprint on my body. Whereas I when I see a film where, what we all have to do these days, like online, it, it doesn't leave that much of an impression uh, to me. So I feel, I've always felt cinema to be a very sensual um, experience uh, that I share with others in a room. Um, we talked about music before, and then I ended up in films. Um, it's just because I wanted to explore as much of uh, the arts as possible. And I thought that film was a place where all my uh, interests would come together. You know, My interest in music or my passion even in music, uh, writing, reading, um, spatiality, the speciality of sound, and and for me in cinema that it, it it comes uh, it comes together there, but I'm also as you said before you mentioned the word adventure. I I I really like to see myself as an explorer as well because I'm always looking for uh, different ways of of, of making images, um, like trying to find a way to to look at a world not in the way that dominates cinema today. So finding um, new technologies to make images and and finding new perspectives to look at things uh, and sharing that perspective uh, with others. Um, So that's why, I mean, you probably, that's why probably you mentioned this idea of of science It's it's true. It's because I use the language of signs, like um, what I did with Atlas. Is is the images are made with an electron microscope, Mm -hmm. um, or what I did in in Thing, which is made with uh, the lidar technique, which is used by architects. Um, So, but I, I, it's it's really to to try and find um, new ways taking images, looking at the world in, in, in a different way. Yeah. What is, but, but then
1: there's an abstract quality in your work, which allows for so much space of the imagination. And even though we're guided quite precisely on this journey, there's, there's, I'm just wondering in terms of your own, um, Influences and the ways in which you encounter other work that thrills you and excites you. Um, how how does that sort of fold itself into your own notions of of making work? Again, not necessarily even using a camera, um, mm. and and but also being very specific um, in terms of. I mean, I'm thinking of films, you know, specifically like Black. Or, you know, um, these ways in which you use the texture and the materiality of 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter versus digital has its all encompassing, it's part and parcel of the piece. Um, and when you do encounter digital work and when you do encounter work on celluloid, I, I just kind of like to know how you might describe this these reverberations um, that that might kind of spark something in you um, to try, because it seems like you're always willing to experiment in a sense that and of course, experimentation always has a huge um, risk of failure, you know, a risk of a risk of not working. Um, And there are a lot of artists that are reticent in a way to do that particularly with with film stock particularly with certain ways of 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 setting up a workspace um that's that's quite risky in fact and that and that might not um garner the results that you that you hope for
2: well it just what you're saying reminds me of of one of the um, uh, the strongest uh cinematic experiences that i had and one of the strongest influences is uh, seeing uh, Lai's free radicals. Um, at, I mean, when I was in my 20s, and I just left film school at that time, and I was a bit disappointed or confused about about film at that time because I studied um, more classical film, you know, with actors and a script and 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 all that. Um, but I was I was a bit at a loss at that time, and I wasn't really acquainted so much with, um, let's say, experimental film or poetic film or avant-garde film or artist film. I mean, there's so many words to describe this beautiful, um, what is it, a territory within film. Um, and then I saw Free Radicals by Len Lai. And I, I, was, um, I, I remember it really vividly. Uh, still today, it was, um, I was sitting on the ground in Pip Shodorov's uh, Paris apartment, and he, uh, at the time, worked at lightcone the, the wonderful distributor in Paris of, of the experimental films. And I yeah, I did some research there just because I wanted to explore this, um, this um, part of cinema. And then uh, he took uh, this... Uh, this copy of Free Radicals with with him uh, and he made dinner and then he put this film on and I was sitting on the floor of his apartment and it was good because otherwise I would have fallen off my chair. Uh, (laughs) So it it was such a strong experience. And I mean, I've seen that film. uh, So, um, I mean, I'm always happy to see that film. I've seen this film a great number of times, Uh, again and again, and it means always something differently. I mean, when you grow older, everything, you know, when you see things again, things become, I don't know, get more layers and I, and you understand more of, of, why it, um, it triggered such a strong effect in me. And, um, it just, the freedom of it, the, 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 the mix of, of course, music and, and image, uh, the way that this, Simple line, this simple abstraction dances and is free to um, almost uh, embody the music and express the joy that this music brings to this abstract line. And it just, it's like a constant revolution in a sense, um, this happily dancing line. And I just thought it was wonderful how with this simple. Um, form how you can create such a strong emotional um, reaction and and that for me that was a a life lesson and so it's for me that film is really like um, a very formative experience Uh, watching it over the years I I come back to it uh, again and again and actually recently I was asked by the Land Life Foundation in in New Zealand to write a text about his films, and of course I chose that film. I was so happy to really dive into that piece again, but then um, express what this film means to me with words, um, which is something else, of course. Um, But it, yeah, this, 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 yeah, it just taught me so much about abstraction. It taught me so much about how it's connected to something that's very primal in a sense. He calls it, Len Lai calls it the old brain. Um, and I've always tried, even though it's you could you could describe my work as being abstract or cerebral or like influenced by science, which it's which it, it absolutely is, but to me it's also very emotional and, and spiritual and personal and uh and it's just um Trying to peel off everything that is anecdotal, and to reach some kind of core um, in me uh, and and on screen, uh, most definitely, and and try to maybe reach a core in other people as well. I mean, that's that's the whole that's the whole point. And I, th- I find that by experimenting with. Um, you know the the electron microscope or the lidar technique or or scratch on film or or whatever um that i that i can peel off this uh this anecdotal stuff much more easy um and that i come to images that to me uh connect to to um yeah to to a personal space um it's like with Atlas, of course, it's difficult to describe films uh, via audio, but using that electron microscope um, and zooming in to uh, the single frame. So I, I put a single frame of a 16 millimeter film under um, an electron microscope and you zoom in and, and to, I mean, it's there's no limit almost to, to how far you can zoom into that image you end up in a landscape and then in a, in a, to me, beautiful, absolutely quite quite beautiful. Yeah. Like a, a faraway land. Mm. Um, And of course I'm a big fan of Alice in Wonderland and all that. So, I mean, I like to be transported to a faraway land. I like to create, um, other places for people to wander in. Um, it it it's it goes back to of course the spatiality that I was talking to when I was a kid, like how the sound uh, opened up the space to me, and and it really has to do also with um, this oceanic feeling that uh, sound can can trigger, and it's something that I like to translate uh, visually uh, in a sense. Uh, and, and of course, I mean, it's not, my work is not only visual, that's the 50%. The other 50% of course is, is the sound and, and how that uh, influences what you see. Um, sometimes the sound can um, say something which is the opposite of what you see. Like for instance, when I create visually a vast landscape, um, I like to have a sound that's very intimate, for instance. Uh, very close to you and so i really like to play with all these um possibilities uh, opportunities that that this play of um the visuals and the sound and spatiality architecture uh, words you know text uh that's something that that comes in quite often as well i really like to play with that Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Well, it also, I mean, this is so in line as well um, in, in your book, Where is Cinema, that you talk about um, cinema as fill in the blank, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. these different manifestations and writing about monokino, which is the the cinema um, that you founded in Ostend, mm-hmm. uh, you describe it as cinema as bodies of water, mm-hmm. um, which is such a beautiful concept to think about along with this notion of cinema as nomad, which you also talk about this, this traveling. So this notion of constant, constant shifts, you know, in a sense where we live in a world where we're almost trained to resist that, you know, I mean, all of the changes that I I keep hearing people describe 2020 as like this, uh, you know too much shifting sand it's almost like it's 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 trying our very fiber <laughs> to sort of hold on to ourselves and one another um in this way and yet somehow what you're talking about this this um this spatiality but also this notion of movement between between the very concrete and the ephemeral, if you will, and the imaginary. And um, I, I wanna you know, talk about um, these, these two rec- recent projects you did with Helga Davis, because all the things that you're talking about, you know, these sounds you're using, you have used human voice before, but now you're using it in a quite, different way. And you expressed to me personally how much these projects meant to you. I mean, the, the film one, and then the the installation, um, Helga Humming, and she herself is such a magnificent presence visually. Um, and And the way she can evoke something even with just her eyes and the tilt of her head. And I would love to talk to you about how, as a director, um, because we don't often see human beings in your work <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and um and so, I would just like to sort of know about that process and and it feels very joyful when you watch mm. it. It feels very uh, alive and oh, good. and and I do, in fact, feel your presence there sort of watching. as as things transform. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you could talk about that collaboration with Vessel, um, with this music that you all made together, um, and then these very quite straightforward visuals, but a lot is going on in that frame. And it's emanating from this human being who is elegant and powerful. Um, So it's not just her... The sounds she's making, um, some of which are in sync, some not. Um, but it is also this presence. And at this point in your, I just find it an interesting tra- trajectory um, in the sense of your own art making. Um, what that experience was like for you?
2: Well, it, it's true. I mean, it's it's a big shift in the sense, uh, and it's it's maybe the. M- most personal work that I've done so far, uh, but I mean, yeah, you you mentioned it. The world has changed, um, and uh, yeah, it to to maybe like the origin of, of Helga Humming, which came first, um, which was an invitation of a museum in in Belgium, in Brussels, and you know, by way of making conversation, I, I was uh, at a round table with a couple of curators and. and I, by way of opening up this conversation. And, and I really like, you know, when people invite me to do stuff, I see it as a conversation and, and, and I love it, you know. And so I opened up by asking, so why actually did you invite me to do this? And then one of the people, a, a man at the table said, because you're a woman. And then I I thought, okay, now it, somehow that that, I mean, as a woman, of course, you you encounter a number of things in the art world, in the world, um, but somehow that was enough. I mean, I just had enough, and I thought, you know, you want a woman? I'll give you a woman, and um, uh, and and it it really it really shifted something. Come something like, okay, now I really have enough now, and. Um, and around the same time, I, I went to a concert in uh, the People Festival here in Berlin, um, which is this amazing festival where uh, musicians actually invite other musicians to jam together and try out stuff and experiment. And some of these, these experiments make it to the stage, others don't. I think it's a beautiful concept. Anyway, so I went to this festival because, of course, that... Uh, I love the, this, this whole idea. Um, and then one of the, the it was 3 a.m. Uh, in the middle of the night and people were, you know, that people had beers and, and it was a bit noisy. There were a lot of people in the room. I mean, a thousand or something or even more. And so yeah, the, there was a buzz and people were not very concentrated. And then on came Helga Davis on stage. And she did it with such a grace and such a power that she dominated the space um, in a a beautiful way. Um, And the room went quiet, like, this and I thought, this is my woman. <laughs> <laughs> she, she harnesses this power, which is at the same time. I mean, I, I use the word dominate, which I, I maybe I, it's not the right word, but it's very, she's very present. I mean, that's a better word for, for Helga. And she just, she's a very, um, I think, I hope that's the right word, but a, a very authentic person. She, when we have a, we had a lot of conversations, and each word um, that comes out of her mouth is authentic. She's extremely present. She's one of the most, yeah, present people that I that I that I know. And and of course, she she wears, of course, also her emotions on her sleeve. So you know um, what she feels. She, you will know what you what she thinks and uh we also had a lot of political uh conversations which which were very very uh interesting and informing and uh formative um and so yeah we we started this collaboration and and it was such a, a beautiful experience uh such a hug fest <laughs> this this working together there was a lot of love love involved and a lot of mutual respect um and so that we we decided to to, uh, to almost straight away work on on, on a new project, uh, which which is then one uh, the the film that we that we made in uh, beginning of the year, and of course Vessel is a very important part uh, in in this collaboration. He's. Um, He's a, a, a young man from uh, from UK, and he makes these beautiful, timeless soundscapes. And it's it's also someone that I kind of met uh, while on a birthday party somewhere in London. I can't remember, but we met, and and there was an immediate click. And there was always this wanting to work together on something. And I thought this these projects were the right ones. Um, He's also someone who who is extremely uh, sensitive and 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 sensual and uh, and political and it's it was just the right group of people at the right time to do something together um, and yeah I love our conversation and it's it's not it's not ending yet I mean we have plans to work together for for other projects so um, yeah I'm really happy to have met these people.
1: Mm-hmm. This this notion of of these vibrations on the body, this uh, in this instance too, you speak very specifically about the healing properties of that, and this it, it, it's all of your work. Whether we're talking about you know audio or visual or some combination of all of that, um, really always shifts back to community. And I'm wondering as well, in in I mean, you were talking about Len Lai's work and how it shifts and changes for you every time you go back to it. And I have works like that as well. And there's always a little bit of trepidation as well where you think Maybe this isn't going to hold anymore, you know you're almost a little bit afraid to go back to something that impacted you so deeply and emotionally, and I'm just wondering, I mean for thing in particular um that was accompanied by a book, you know, a much sort of larger um, idea and explication of this idea of reality versus imagination and how they they can collide in unexpected ways. I mean, not to put any kind of um, you don't put any kind of sliding scale of 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 negative or positive ways in which something could impact someone. but in thing in particular, both visually and and with this uh, um, this voice, this just beautiful, you know, voice of Liam Burns, um, moving from a very precise, authoritative architectural voice mm-hmm. to one of whimsy, to mm-hmm. one of of playfulness, and we realize we're we're playing inside this this man's imagination. Um, I Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino is is a book and a concept that has always resonated with me, and I'm always trying to pull that in as a reference, but I, I, I think of this idea as well, these builds of yours in your films. Um, even with Black, you know, that, that idea of, of space and floating in there, I mean, the, the, the permission to dream you know mm-hmm. that that so many art and artists are somehow a bit stingy with, I would contend um, it, it's a tricky thing to sort of control the work, right, and master the work, you as the artist mm-hmm. and then and then but always keeping in mind the spectator who yes. will have his or her own you know worlds going on as they're encountering the work do you think a lot about that as you're making or is that, and if you, if you do, if you could sort of expand upon that idea and, and how it, it, how it impacts how you think about what it is you're making.
2: Well, that's a, that's a a major question because I mean, of course, when I, when I start making a work in it's, it always starts with something that troubles me like a, Mm. For instance, with um, the last one, uh, one, uh, it was about empathy. It's something mm. that 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 I wanted to explore, question, read about, and and that's the joy, of course, in in this whole research phase of. Um, starting up a project it's it's almost my favorite phase i have to mm. say uh, i was almost going to say secretly but of course it's this this is not nothing is secret here but um it's yeah it's it's just a pleasure to to read books and and wander in my mind and try to grasp this thing that troubles me or confuses me or uh that i want to question um, but then when actually making it um I almost always collaborate with other people, just like what I what I said before, and that already opens up the conversation and makes the project more rich. Um, uh, it's, um, I really love to, to um, bring a project or an idea or my perspective on the table, and then by ha- opening up this conversation with people that I work with, to have it influence, to have it become more richer. And I just expand that basically by making the project open enough, to keep it open enough so that this conversation can go on with the spectator as well. So as I said in the beginning, to me, art or film, is, it's really like a deep social space. And, and it is about um, inviting people in, Um, and that explains probably my interest or my, my, uh, absolute love for cinema as a space as well, because it's, it's the space, it's, it's kind of like the living room for filmmakers, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's the space where you, um, transport people. I mean, in the case of black, in the case of thing, I, I use this. Incredibly magic ritual of, that is cinema. Uh, you know, like we're sitting in a dark space, and then this blank canvas, this screen, which is you know like uh, something blank, um, opens up. You know, there's a projector that that uh, starts rolling or starts uh, beaming its light, and it just transforms this uh, screen into a world. Of of endless possibilities, and I'm in, still in love with that with that ritual, which is of course the basics of, of cinema, and then being able to transport people to to this place, um, maybe, um, hopefully, uh, depends on the work, but making them calm, soothe them, uh, comfort them, um, uh, make them see the world in a different way um or make them see something that they ha- may- maybe haven't seen before uh, like abstract imagery that maybe um uh um, leaves them confused you know i mean there's, there's, this of course people who are confused when watching my films but i love that it's just uh um yeah offering another perspective on what we know um and, and trying to make people see maybe in a different way. I mean, that's a huge ambition. That's, that's really not the point, but it's just this, um, it, there is a, a kind of, in some of my works, a kind of um, soothing quality. I mean, I've, especially when I make installations, which, which I do too, um, I, I try to create an architecture that, that is like um, a space where you can come together. Um, and where the sounds and, and the image. Um, I mean, just to give you an example, like one of the, one of the people that have visited my, my um, exhibitions, uh, I heard that, that people come there quite regularly, so visited again and again to do yoga or to meditate or to, you know, mm-hmm. and I found that there, some people find it weird. I, I, I love it. I mean, it, feel, it, it makes them feel safe, yeah. apparently yeah uh, and 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 it relaxes them and uh, mm. and that's I mean very important to me,
1: yeah no, oh, that's like a service to humanity actually
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure, but yeah I mean you no, know,
1: I know, but I yeah. mean I also you know there's a different sense of disorientation in the cinema space than there ever could be in the installation space and mm. and that's such a important idea to know that the malleability right of the structure in which in which the work is being shown and you talk so much about this in your book where is cinema you know when you are talking to these different um as you call them fellow adventurers um in in cinema in in building those space spaces but what also comes to the fore and and i know so many artists um maybe kind of shy away from this concept of, of, um, but uh, of the politics of culture, Mm. you know, and this is a theme of course, which crops up in your book over and over again, realizing you do such a beautiful job of historicizing, right. How these spaces came to be. Um, and even with Monokino, it, it was hardly a straightforward, I'm going to make a cinema and boom, there it is. I mean, there was a lot of resistance, um, which is key in any art making, I contend, um, because, you know, we can say cinema matters, but it also matters who is running the spaces, who is programming the spaces, who's bothering to build the audience and the community around those spaces. And the book... I found it so inspiring, you know, listening to, and you do as we're doing now, this sort of, you know, conversation with these people. Um, and each is quite different in the way they, they have had to go about this journey and their struggles have been different. But when push comes to shove, it is this kind of really muscling your way into um the communal space. I mm-hmm. mean, can you talk a little bit maybe about what your ideas of this resistance might be? Um, it always puzzles me. It's frustrating and it's it's infuriating sometimes, but I also find it really puzzling um, that, you know, why wouldn't this just be such a natural desire for any community to have?
2: Mm-hmm well yeah well we're we're not really talking about, of course, any cinema space. It's like all of the people that I talk to in the book, they're really concerned with a certain cinema, which is uh, anything that is left or right of the mainstream right um and um like yeah this this people who want to um shake up the status quo, they're not always welcomed, let's mm-hmm. say <laughs> um so. It's that. It's like giving um, giving a voice to uh, films or people uh, that usually don't have a voice. It's it, that's also part of the cinema that I stand for. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, there's there's a lot of multiplexes in in the world. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. That's mm-hmm. that's more of a, a corporate. It's a different beast. Right. It's a different animal right. um i'm talking about uh the, the 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 animal that wants to i mean let's let i'm gonna let go of the of the metaphor here but um yeah it's it's um it's occupying or demanding uh the space of of yeah everything that is left and right of the of the of the mainstream so it's Oh, this, this, yeah, there's of course so many examples of in in the book, but one of the of the conversations that that really made a strong impact was the one in Bogota in Colombia, which is uh, this this cinema that was built by the community, um, and it it evolved out of the community project uh, trying to teach young people about making films um, to try and uh, keep them off the streets or. Uh, of, of the young, t- teaching young women uh, about filmmaking would maybe um, not have, not, uh, so that they don't be, are, are on the street and then become pregnant pregnant at a, at a, at a too young age, let's say. And then uh, there were all, the, all these films that were made by the community. And, and out of that came this desire of building a cinema space and they made it out of bamboo in a couple of weeks which is an an amazing project. Uh, I mean, so many details to this beautiful uh, thing. Um, But uh, in the case of uh, Monokino, yeah, it it just became, it just was this very naive idea of, hey, on the whole of the Belgian coast, there's only one multiplex. Uh, This is stupid. I mean, it's even criminal. Um, So why not start a cinema? Uh, and yeah, it came out of this very naive idea, but then uh, we encountered a lot of obstacles. Um, yeah, uh, because a, a lot of the politicians were involved in this multiplex and were afraid that uh, we would be competition. Uh, but of course, we all know that these two can it coexist perfectly. Um, so, yeah, it's just because of this this project Monokino that I that I really um, understood the the importance of these kind of cinemas and how important they are for a city for the fabric of a community. Um, yeah, it's like uh, leaving it to the status quo, leaving it to the mainstream. That's that's really not an option. So that's that's the the responsibility. Uh, Of these smaller cinemas and also of course you know like these smaller cinemas they they tend to of like especially the the examples that that I talk about in in the book they tend to be of a much more personal nature I mean you have a host which makes it into a human project again Uh, someone to welcome you at the door someone to give you an introduction about a film that they feel strongly about or a group of films that they feel strongly about. It just becomes a much more personal, a much more direct and involved um, experience, shared, real shared experience and 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 it's it's so important to to keep that in a city to not leave it up to um, big business or or corporate or tourism offices or you know just to keep it human and keep it intimate and uh, um, and keep it local in a sense and yeah mm-hmm. uh, this is
1: a, um, a specifically timely question as we wrap up but I'm just kind of wondering then. What your take is on these festivals under siege that have, have to have had to pull everything online or are opting. There are some who have not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but this notion too in, in the, the section on the Tyneside cinema in the UK, you know they talk a lot about this experience that will not be repeated. Like this is with these people in this space at this time and seeing these kinds of works. Um, that's something that will stand, you know, in and of itself as a very particular experience. And I myself, i mean, i thinking about the times I've encountered your work, it's always been very specifically tied to a place, to a cinema where I was sitting in the cinema, who I was with in the cinema um, and and thinking about. All of the things that filmmakers are losing by this kind of exhibition, but all of the things that spectators are perhaps missing. So I just was wondering if you wanted to weigh in on that. It's, it's a new phenomenon, but mm. I'm just curious about your personal, personal take on that.
2: Well, on on the one hand, there's a number of uh, moving image artworks that have become available online, which is right. of course unprecedented and which is incredible. I mean, it's, uh, I teach as well, so I'm really happy about that, to be able to share with students or with young aspiring filmmakers this rich body of work that usually is not made available online that's that's a good thing uh, this generosity let's say uh, of putting your films out there and online that is a, a very positive out- outcome of it um and yes as you say film festivals have, have experimented with moving online but of course it doesn't um it's a it's not a a worthy alternative you you miss they they try to to connect it to these chats online chats that you that you can kind of after a screening of a film that you can kind of come together and and talk about these films um and it's it's something i mean I'm, i'm really happy that it's there but yeah of course it's not it's not not the same thing and um i i i had a couple of of uh, discussions ab- about the possibilities because it's also you could see it as a um a good time to experiment with uh how to show film and we should do that and so they're one of the of the possibilities that we came came up with and maybe it's it's already out there i don't know but is this possibility of having um using living rooms of people as as small nodes where you have a bubble of maybe five or 10 people maximum that come together and watch a film that is streamed online in the context of a film festival. And that you kind of try to find a way to connect these nodes together so that you have the intimacies of people's living rooms and that you connect them somehow. It's all trying to recreate the beauty of just sitting together in a room, watching a film together. And then afterwards, like for instance, in the film festivals where we've met a couple of times, uh, to, to be very passionate about the film that we've just seen, to, to weigh in, uh, to change, to, to have different perspectives, to not to, to disagree completely with someone else. I mean, that's, if you do it face-to-face, it's just a much more loving experience than if you do it in in the chat line of um, somewhere online. I mean, it's 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 just, yeah. People try, but it's just yeah, it's just not the same. And and I I just so much want to be part of this body that is uh, in a cinema room watching a film and 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 to have it have a mark on my body. But it'll come back. I'm I'm very positive and optimistic about it. It will come back, but. We should maybe take this time and and those lots, lots people do to experiment with uh ways ways of, of of watching film and being together. I mean it's much more than about cinemas it's, it's really this this um uh, the huge importance of of being with people and and uh, and and missing to hug other people and sometimes it's good to miss to miss it to then. Really see the importance of it, and then uh, I'm pretty sure once there is a maybe a vaccination, or I don't know what's going to happen, a, a miracle, let's say uh, that that yeah, I'm I'm gonna hug people like crazy. That's for sure, <laughs> uh, and be in the cinema maybe every day. I don't know, but yeah, uh, yeah so something yeah. to look forward to.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much for this delightful talk. It was so wonderful to get to chat with you. Thank you, Mama. and uh, yeah, I hope we get to see each other in person soon for a big, long, warm bear hug.
2: Yes, I hope so too. Looking yeah, forward
1: to it. Me too. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for streaming this episode of Lucid Dreaming. This podcast was recorded on the 27th of July in the year 2020. Lucid Dreaming is a production of Lono Studio with host Pamela Cohn. We will be back with a new conversation with our guest next week, Camilo Restrepo. If you like our podcast, please spread the word and subscribe on iTunes, Google, SoundCloud or Spotify. Goodbye, Goodbye, Dreamers.